On this episode of the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, the guys give their marquee picks for their favorite crimes or heists in movies and television. They also discuss the Netflix original movies, The Last Days of American Crime, and then they spin the wheel a little bit for a little bit of fun. So, let's go! cinema syndicate <laughs> podcast the new newly named movie review podcast that's stretching its tentacles from the west coast to the east coast and slowly and inevitably making its way to the top of the movie review podcast charts as always i am joined by my good friend mr rod budman how you doing tonight rod I'm still budding, doing great, really excited about tonight's movie review of the last crimes of North American history or something along those lines. As we can tell, Rod is well prepared. We're moving on to, we're joined by Mr. Preston Barnes. Right on, fellas. Good to see you all. Uh, Preston Pokey Barnes. And we're also joined by Mr. Joe Seth. Fine, that's three syllables, not two. Go ahead, Joe. Bonsoir, mes amis. <laughs> uh, you sound like the lobster from Little Mermaids. So, uh, English. <laughs> All right, so uh, as always, we, uh, so we're newly named, but we're not new to the podcast game. So we were still on iTunes, but we used to be the Three Beers, Two Guys, One Movie podcast. So we are now the Cinema Syndicate podcast. So if you are listening, please, as always, we encourage all our listeners, if you're listening, please go and review our show. If you love it, please give us five stars and write something nice because we really appreciate it. And it helps us just rise up those charts like we were talking about earlier. Um, tonight, we are doing a Netflix, a review of the Netflix original, The Last Days of American Crime. I think it came out about three, two, three months ago. Um, and as always, we do a little bit uh, of our picks beforehand. We call them marquee picks. We're going to do our top three favorite heists or crimes in movies and television. And since this is a Rod Budman pick, we're going to let Rod Budman start off the marquee picks. Your top three favorite crimes or heists in movies and TV. Rod, go ahead and kick us off. Okay, so my number three choice is going to be a 2001 release. Um, All-star studded cast, Ocean's Eleven is going to be my number three choice. Moving on to number two is a uh, 1992 classic, Reservoir Dogs. And then my number one is, was, it was very difficult. Um, <laughs> I wanted to put a previously reviewed movie we've done, Hell or High Water on there. But Great movie. Just because I'm not, um, I'm gonna actually go with The Town. Oh. oh, nice one. Yeah, I thought about picking that one. Very great movie. So The Town is my number one choice. And I, I think Ben Affleck also produced that one, maybe? He directed it. I think it. he directed it and wrote it. Yeah. Right? And um, I like that one. A lot of twists and turns. Are you a big Jeremy Renner fan, Rod? 
I think he's a great villain. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. So let's talk about this for uh, just for a little second. So the town, they like, don't they dress up as nuns? Do you think that's more convincing than say like Point Break where they dress up as presidents? Or like, do you think they were copying or like, did you think it was sort of similar? What do you think about that? I think that, yeah, I think Ben probably got a little bit of input from Jennifer and um, isn't he married to Jennifer Garner? He is I think he was Jennifer. at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, I think she was a big Point Break fan. <laughs> so, yeah. Jennifer Gardner, personal, personal trivia there. I, I, I think <laughs> Big he, PB lady. What's in your wallet? <laughs> I think he drew off of that and was inspired, but yeah, I actually liked the nuns. Um, and you know, there's the whole scene where like, I think a little kid sees them when they're, you know, they're all in the car and they've just put on their mask. Yeah. As the nuns. It almost looks like the scream mask, but it's like, it's actually nuns or whatever. So yeah, I don't it's like scary. It's sort of right? like, it's almost like oh, it is scary. the nuns yeah. down a little bit. Uh, do y'all have anything else to say about the town or do you want to move on to Preston's top three picks? uh i'm ready all right go ahead preston let's do your three go ahead all right my uh my number three um is was a great movie let alone it just like its soundtrack was was good enough to watch it was baby driver um number well i had reservoir dogs as my number one but i'm gonna move it to number two um although i talk about it and then uh my number one is the usual suspects Oh, um, that's... um, honestly, I could, I could enter like change us either way. Reservoir Dogs is to me like one of the better, if not like for me, like top two Tarantino films. Um, he obviously is in it as well. And I just think the music and like, there's like a, a couple of scenes where like the music kind of steals the show. I mean, obviously the acting does too in, uh, conjunction with the music, but like, it's just, it's just another fun Tarantino plot. I, l- I love the characters, the name of the characters, like how they just are all strangers and they meet up and they've got this like robbery they got to do and everything just goes totally wrong. It's just a fun, fun movie. And then- Next uh, level score. Yeah. Well, then, one, of the, uh, one, of, one of the songs from it, Little Green Bag is what's going to be the intro to this podcast now. So- Oh, nice right on. Little, nice little segue to that. But go ahead. Yeah, and you got the famous like Michael Madsen scene with- um, Oh God! What is that song? Stuck in the middle. Yeah, stuck in the middle, where like yeah. he 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 douses them with the uh, gasoline and cuts yeah. off his ear and sort of all that sort of torture thing. Uh, <laughs> but do you want to talk a little bit about the Usual Suspects because it's well, obviously number one. You got yeah. two Kevin Spacey films here, Preston. I know, I know, I'm I know. Surprised that I know Kevin Spacey is a little bit, you know. Well, he, right he's now. he's been very much uh, canceled. I think he. <laughs> And but, I'd uh, say appropriately so. Appropriately so, <laughs> so for sure. Uh, but he is, you know, still a great actor. And obviously uh, his role in The Usual Suspects was uh, pretty, like, I, I mean, I don't know if to say groundbreaking. He did win an Oscar, I believe. But, like, that, you know, the last eight minutes of that movie are captivating. And they definitely 
I don't want to necessarily spoil it all if you haven't seen it, but I mean, it's definitely one of the bigger surprises in a, in a film that I've ever well, seen. It's, it's 20 years old. I don't think you're really going to kill anybody that's listening to this, but like, like okay, you said yeah. though, like, like at that last sequence, if, if you haven't seen it or whatever is, 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 I don't say mind blowing or whatever, but if you really, really are going into completely fresh or whatever, I've never seen usual suspects, the way he sort of like reveal, like the way the, what the detective like what discerns figures out how it's a like a ploy or whatever yeah. is so funny the way like because it reveals how yeah. Kevin Spacey almost came up with the whole story while he was in that room right and it's 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 so ridiculous because he almost improvised the whole situation or whatever um but yeah no that that movie and is fantastic. Uh, the uh, classic dropping of the coffee mug absolutely the and then like he's sort of like you want to think he's crippled but then you realize he's not crippled so you're almost like oh i was rooting for him now i'm not yeah, uh <laughs> just like that everything, everything everything changes and the movie's over and you're like fuck what just happened yeah oh was, he was sort of the underdog and now he's the asshole uh he's, he's terrible yeah <laughs> All right, so I'm going to move on to my top three, and then we're going to move on to Joe's, and then we'll get into the last days of American crime. So my top three are uh, Michael Scott thinking he smoked pot in the drug test episode of The Office. Then I have Cartman, <laughs> Cartman killing Scott Tinnerman's parents. And then uh, this is my this is one of my favorite ones, just because I'll, I'll explain it. But Omar robbing the card game and The Wire because it has like three of the best lines I've ever like heard back to back. It's it's only an, a minute and like 30 seconds long. I don't know how many like you guys are in love with the wire or how many guys you watched it or whatever, but like, so Omar is like, I, I think he's like the best character or whatever, but he busts in the card game. There's like the meters playing in the background or, or it's the Neville brothers, but it's like this card game. It's really expensive, whatever. And he's going to rob it. And he says, I'll just read three lines because I wrote them down because I think it was so great. But was, he goes, I don't know about, I don't know much about cards, but I think these four fives beat that full house. When he's talking about the four fives in his hand, which I think is so awesome. A, because it works in one way because obviously four of a kind beats a full house, but he's also talking about his fucking gun. So it's great. And then he's also like, <laughs> uh, Marlo says, that's my money. And then Omar goes, man, money ain't got no owners, only spenders, which again, fantastic line. And then he's about to like, he wants this like ring that Marlo's wearing and Marlo says something, I forget whatever, but he goes, boy, you got me confused for a man that repeats himself. So it's like, dude, he has like one minute and 35 seconds and basically proves like his dominance all over the table of these guys that are like high level drug dealers and he just takes it. I, I I don't know. Like I think some of it too is that like you have to kind of watch the series to understand how badass Omar is. But he he's got such a way with words and such a great actor. I think it's, I forget the name actor whatever. But it's I, I I love Omar. He's he's fantastic. Yeah, he's in that new show on HBO. Um, <laughs> I forget his name too. I, I literally just read it it's, earlier. It's Michael. Today. It's Michael. Michael. It's Michael something. something I think. Michael yeah. something. It, it, it's I've got a very interesting little story tidbit about this. His name is Michael K. Williams. <laughs> yes. K, yeah. Yes. And about three months ago, I was over at a friend's house, and I walk in like they, they you know, there's a couple people there already, and I look over and I see this guy on the couch. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like this guy looks really familiar. And uh, eventually worked up the nerve to be like, hey, dude, like, are you, uh, like, are you an actor? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, man. 
and it was Omar. <laughs> no he, fucking way. Yeah. So That's so did, he, did you did he introduce you? So let, let's just ask you this. So like you you probably go, are you an actor? So you didn't know who he was. Did what show did he say? Oh, I'm in this first. Did he say it's Omar or did he say it's from Boardwalk Empire? What did he say first? Just because I'm curious to know he, what he, Andrew's obsessed. He didn't go directly to a show. He goes, yeah, I've been in a couple of things. Oh, okay. So like, yeah. You're Omar, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. you do it. Okay. Is that Omar? Yeah, and he he does not. I mean, he he acts very well because he was very well like spoken and. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't really know he's how to a, put it. But well, Omar is very well spoken too, but he's just sort of like. I mean, he's he like a, has, he has a different dialogue, a different sort of like vernacular because he's not as classically educated as some of the other people, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but just a little tidbit. Oh, that's awesome, though. So you've met him, and you've got to meet Omar in person, and he what? didn't actually rob you. But go ahead, Joe. <laughs> yeah. I was a little let down. I thought it was going to be Emilio Estevez. But... I really thought that, like, I thought Rod was going to be at a party, and then Michael K. Williams was, was going to bust in with a fake shotgun and say, Omar's coming, and then, like, instead of shooting, like, out of the shotgun was going to be, like, confetti or some shit. He's just like, uh, I got a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of jello shots for everyone. <laughs> Uh, Joe, have you, are you a Wire fan? Do you see The Wire? I feel like you would love it. Or That's you... one of those shows that is on top of the list. I've got oh, to the God. Wow. Dude. I'm jealous. Dude. Unfortunately, I have to say, same. Am I going to burn through that? Yes. You're gonna, it's, it's a slow burn, but once you get started, man, it's going to really burn quickly. So, yeah, it's absolutely You've seen fantastic. The Sopranos, right, Joe? Love The Sopranos. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, that was also in the top of the list, and I, we had to watch that. But the, the Wire has more memorable characters, I think, and it's also, I think, like, has, I think it's more quotable. But obviously, Tony's Tony Tony Springs at the top. But if you sort of like did like a ranking, I put Tony at the top, and there'd be like Wire character, Wire character, yeah. Wire character, then Soprano character. But all right, so we're, we, that's enough about Omar. But let's go to Joe's top three heists or uh, you know crimes or whatever. Go ahead. All right, boys. It was tough coming up with this list. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Matthew went just straight crimes there. Yeah, he did. Uh, I went all heist. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I'm kind of more on the heist end of the spectrum. Um, number three, I went with, um, I actually named, the, named the, uh, the heister. Nick Wells, played by Robert De Niro in The Score with uh, Edward Norton. Um, they were stealing a 16th century or 17th century golden French scepter from the Montreal <laughs> Customs House. Man, that was an awesome movie. Got to get that scepter. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Marlon Brando, one of his last movies. I'm pretty sure he, the man was like 400 pounds in the, in the film. But, yeah. <laughs> his, got, jaws were just, his jaws yeah. were like hanging down to his shoulders and like spit was coming out there. The- <laughs> yeah. It's actually one of those films that really made me want to go to Montreal. Um, love that town. Um, number two for me is... Charlie Croker, played by Michael Caine in the the Italian Job from the 1960s. Oh, um, early one. They were going after the gold bars with the Balinese dancer on them, um, the gold bullion, uh, with nice. you know driving the minis. <coughs> you are only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yep. Um, everybody has to do their Michael Caine. Right? <laughs> 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 and my number one. Uh, heist film is I w- you know I didn't think of this initially as being a heist film but the more I think about it Pulp Fiction and the reason uh. why I say that is because you know that no one ever sees what's in the case and that was just kind of like you know a, 
a cinematography urban legend, you know, like what was really in the case. They would ask, you know, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson, like what was in there? And they'd be like, ah, all I saw was like a, a light bulb and some <laughs> aluminum foil, you know. Yeah. But that was like some urban legend that, the, you know, what was in there? What were they going after? You know, what were they supposed to yeah. bring back? So it could be anything to anybody. So that's why I love it. I like that. <laughs> it's very, uh, your reasoning is, makes sense there, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> um, what if like John Travolta's like, it was like L. Ron's Hubbard's like fucking secret manifest or some shit like a, <laughs> or, No, it was, his, it was uh, contractually uh, obligated to say that. <laughs> it was Bill Gates' vaccines. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, do we need to talk about Pulp Fiction? I mean, no. I mean, go for it. You know, it's, Pulp Fiction is one of those things where we like, love actually, it. We all love that film. Everyone. Well, I was going to say I, uh, everyone yeah, loves Matthew. it, but like, I'm not the biggest fan for whatever reason. Like I'm a huge Tarantino fan, but for whatever reason, I kind of like lose interest in it a little bit. Like maybe it's too disjointed for me, or maybe it's just like, maybe it's, maybe I'm just trying to be a contrarian for like the one time in my life. Cause I'm usually so agreeable, oh, but dude. like, I, <laughs> don't have to like if it. you don't like disjointed <laughs> yeah. films, then uh, yeah, it should no, be an no, interesting no. next 30 minutes. No, no, I'm just not. <laughs> no, I, Clark Fine loves that movie. And that was not, one of the, that was one of the movies that I can remember being rented when it came out from like, you know, the blockbuster on Zelda road or, you know, from, um, God, oh hell yeah! One called Mo um, movie gallery, movie, movie gallery. gallery. Oh yeah, and, and the one by uh, video premiere was before yeah, premiere video. Premiere video was before movie gallery. Is that when everything was VHS? Yeah, exactly. I remember yeah. that like case being out, and my dad was like, "I don't think that's a good one for you to watch." So, <laughs> so think about, but dad, dad, dad is going to take this one. <laughs> I do. Did y'all have moments where like your dad would rent something and say, "Oh, this is just for not like I'm not saying like pornographic, or whatever." But it was like, "No, this is kind of for us, whatever." Or like, I feel like there was like one time where like I think I feel like my my dad was like, "All right, you're going to be able to watch like an R-rated movie, a PG-13 movie," and I was like eight or nine or whatever, and we watched Deep Blue Sea in anaconda it was like a double feature at our house Ooh, double, <laughs> double, double creature double, feature yeah double creature feature and i Samuel still like jackson and john voight <laughs> i still love deep blue sea this day not because that was like some like crazy so or whatever but that movie is just so badass deep blue sea 3 just came out <laughs> i didn't even know there were sequels or whatever but yeah it's like, they're not good ice cube was in that film too anaconda? No, it's, it's ll cool yeah. j ll, LL cool j i'm so LL cool j he know he's in Deep Blue Sea. Ice Cube is in Anaconda. Ice Cube's in Anaconda. Yeah. 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 That so Anaconda was like the most, I guess, risque or close to R rate. Was it R or PG thirteen? I think it was PG thirteen, but so Anaconda, Deep Blue Sea, and Lake Placid all came out at like the same time, and they almost had this like ambiguous way of okay. sort of merging into it I'm, I'm sorry but i wonder i just kind of wanted to mention lake placid i'm sorry right go ahead i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say that yeah that was one of the <laughs> first that i was able to screen at home otherwise it was spend the night parties at, <laughs> at, at ricky douglas's where we were able to we were able to rent like wrestlemania you know 234 <laughs> like, oh my god and also like Jason and all the horror movies. Yeah, like twelve years old. But the, <laughs> okay. on Pulp Fiction, I just wanted to, just a little technical thing from my film class days. Um, the briefcase functions as what's called a MacGuffin or a, <laughs> a plot device used to push the story forward. We've we've got a MacGuffin, MacGuffin. drop. <laughs> yeah, 
MacGuffin, that's a, that's a great term. Yeah, I don't uh, know if that's in Merriam-Webster, but... I think it is. It's also the name, I believe, of a bird. On the so East we Coast. won't get like hung up on this, but Rod, what are you saying? Are you saying that he specifically put it in there without any intent of revealing what it was, but just yes. as a way of sort of being mysterious? Is that what you're kind of suggesting? Yes. Like he actually, when he was writing it, he was like, fuck it, I don't care. I just it's want this just, to be mysterious. Yeah, I like just want to lead the plot. Yeah, okay. It's like your typical MacGuffin, the opposite of what's in Seven. Because we do find out what's we do, in yeah. there. Yeah. That's okay. called, that's called a... Uh, what's in the box? That's <laughs> called. Yeah, yeah, no. It's, it's been interesting because people always ask him. And it's almost like, he, like you said, he's, he's led this MacGuffin on for 20 plus years or whatever. And he's almost gotten his rocks off on it way more than once. Um, all right. So what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about this Rod Budman pick. This is going to be the feature discussion of the show. It is the Netflix original movie, Last Days of American Crime. So, like I said, it's a Rod Bundan pick, a Netflix original, and uh, I don't want to get into sort of the uh, critical reviews of it too much, but like I, I think it kind of had like a snowball effect. Someone said it got zero, and everyone sort of piled on and gave it a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, I don't, I don't think it deserves a zero. Maybe it deserves a little bit higher than that. But basically, <laughs> what happens is we're setting the dystopian future of only of only four years in the future so which i don't even know if you can say it's dystopian future but it's set in 2024 and the government has developed something called what's called the american peace initiative and it's basically a radio transmit transmitted synaptic blocker that stunts your body function if you're trying to commit a crime so how it really works is never explained but that's basically the gist of this is that that's sort of the, the, the situation that's going on is that there's only like five days left in before this API is what they call it, the, before this transmitter gets released onto the world. And there's this group of people who's trying to make one last big heist. So um, what, what I want to get, what, so do y'all have any like sort of initial thoughts before I, I kind of get into the questions like, do y'all, I almost want to ask you about the, how this dystopian sort of future is sort of set up in, in a way just before we even get up, get into it in the sense that like it was based. So what I kind of want to get at was it was based on this graphic novel that was written in 2009, which obviously, again, isn't too long ago and it's set in 2024. Um, but there's this like ongoing trope, I feel like with sci-fi and dystopian stuff where the authors kind of have this prescience about them where they understand where technology is evolving and where it eventually is going to be but they completely and totally overestimate how quickly we're going to reach it so blade runner is set in like 2019 but obviously we don't have like a bunch of like you know uh what do you want to say like oh shit i can't even think of the word right now but uh <laughs> androids right whatever but back to the future right the future sequence is set in 2015 but we obviously don't have a bunch of flying cars or whatever 1984 is obviously set, set in 1984 none of that shit's happening oh even though it's close but uh snowpiercer is set in 2031 but like obviously we are not met into this like crazy crazy you know ice age or whatever but so the question is i have to you is like how immersive and believable was the, the plot to you? Like in, in this world they set up, did like did you find any contradictions within it and like things that you kind of wish maybe were explored more? Do you think that like maybe left out? Uh, who wants to kind of maybe jump into that? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Bud Bueller. 
What was the question? No, I was I was just basically saying so like they it, it's it's set in the future as a sci-fi future in a sense, but there's also sort of a bunch of contradictions within it. Did you find yourself thinking, oh my goodness, that like they have the ability to sort of create this weird technology to stop crime, but they're also sort of set in this also almost like past or let's say current state at the same time. Did you find any type of contradictions? Did you think that, like it was a little bit misleading or what, what, how immersive of the world did you think it was? Um, I, I mean, let, let, let's just be real here. Uh, the plot development was lacking. Um, they kind of jump right into, you know, yeah, there's four days until the signal's going off, and then three minutes later, we're already down to it's 24 hours until the signal goes off, and he, you know, he's now joined up with this little crime boss son, and <laughs> um, the what's her name Anna Brewster, who I, I think she steals the show in my opinion, but no. Uh, uh, yeah, I think there's a little bit of d discord between, you know, it, it happens very quickly, I guess. I, I don't know. We well, yeah, no, I was sort of getting, so like, like I said, it was sort of set in this world that we're sort of supposed to adjust to immediately or whatever. Did you sort of, maybe the question should be better phrases, like, did you buy it in the sense that like, the way they sold it in the beginning, it's like, oh, we're in the future, we've got this technology, and did you think this was sort of believable in an immersive sort of world? Uh, you know, like in the same way that maybe like Star Wars or like Star Trek or something, you sort of like feel like you're in that world immediately. I know this is not the same thing that you're in like space or whatever, but like, did you feel like you really were in this, like, uh, you know, the world they tried to create, or did you think it was almost kind of lazy? I felt it no, was a I little think it was lazy. lazy yeah, I felt it was a little lazy just sort of like setting it in 2024, but also trying to be like futuristic at the same time. It, it just didn't feel like they like wanted to spend too much time developing the world that they were trying to create at the same time. It's like, here, here's new technology, but hey, we're going to still be the same at the same time. Is well, that that's kind of what I getting at? It was pretty much, yeah, here's this new technology, and then like, everything like looks kind of the same except everyone's acting <laughs> like a fool and uh and like it's anarchy essentially yeah or how do they let america turn into some hellscape and all of a sudden canada is just you know the, the green pastures over the river yeah no no I, that's that's a real Ooh. question so maybe we, we can leave on that but yeah no but go ahead rod what are you gonna say I, I mean i think that has to do with the fact that like north america is taking the whole stance of you know we're the greatest country in the nation again or not again but we're, we're the greatest country now we're even going to be better because we're going to have no crime whereas canada you know historically on the political aspect has been more of a, a place to go for I guess like refuge and kind of staying out of controlling their citizens so they're not going to be enacting this new technology that North America has and if you can make it to Canada then you're you're good to go and and there was one thing that threw me off is why were they um I mean, it was like uh, the Berlin Wall almost, people trying to escape to get to West Berlin. Um, 
as opposed to East Germany, where they would shoot people, you know, trying to cross to get over. I didn't really understand why in the film, and are y'all following me here? Uh, can you give an example that you're talking about within so like, the film? They, they sh like in the first 10 minutes or probably first 20 minutes, they show people that are trying, you know, they're explaining how, you know, Canada is the only place you can go to be safe. But, yeah. and then they show like a little montage clip of people trying to get into North America. I mean, get into Canada, leaving North America and leaving the United States, getting into Canada. And they're uh, like shooting people in the back. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the idea is that it's becoming sort of some like fascist police state is, is sort of the idea of what America is becoming. I think the idea of why they're escaping is because when you sort of institute this system, it's sort of the same thing that's in like, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Minority Report or whatever, but it's, it doesn't give people sort of the freedom of opportunity to make mistakes. So it's almost like it just no pauses. Yeah, no agencies. So it almost just like it, it, it's completely and totally suppressing anybody's ability to think or do have some almost like uh you know like freedom of thought freedom of expansion freedom to do whatever you want so yeah i i i don't know i can't remember that sequence what you're talking about specifically but that's the argument in terms of at the end why they're uh protesting is because people don't want this system because it limits, I mean, there's a very big, like, if this ever actually happened, which I don't think it ever would, but there's a huge constitu constitutional argument to why it never should fucking happen. So I think that's the idea, Rod, is that, like, people, it's, it's, it's a very, very limitation on people's personal freedoms. And so people want to leave and go to somewhere where they have that personal freedom to where they at least have the ability to make a mistake. And if they do make the mistake, they're punished accordingly. But if they think about the mistake and all of a sudden they've got their brain shocked, but they don't actually do it. It's, it, it's they don't trust the technology, right? It's, it's the main thing is like, you don't trust the government to actually tell you that you're making a mistake rather than, yes, if you do make a mistake, then let's go to the, the judicial system and let it happen. This is, this is a whole different thing where they're basically, you know, going into your brain and saying, you're you're gonna make a crime and we're gonna stop you before it even happens so it's 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 a very big difference in terms of how they're you know uh what do you want to say i, I can't even think of in terms of government what do you say who gives a shit scientific i mean they're controlling your <coughs> nervous system or something <laughs> the, the prefrontal cortex yeah. No, I was just talking about in terms of judicial and executive. This is like a whole different level of executive gotcha, branch in gotcha. terms that they're basically policing people before things actually even happen. So, yeah. So I don't know in terms of like if we want to get into like the themes of how that works or not. But like, yeah, to explain your question, Rod, that's why people are leaving is because they want the personal freedoms. And that's what people are stopping is because they want people to stay because they need sort of the labor capital to keep their system gotcha. and whatever flourishing. Uh, Joe, did you have something to say about how economics work under some fascist police state? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about centralized control. Yeah, exactly. 20, wo 20 words or less. Yeah. Well, that's how it is, right? So they got this giant yeah. sort of radio tower or whatever going on. They're basically controlling everybody from it, from downtown Detroit, baby. Motown, Radio City, and they're killing you. Uh <laughs> Motown Revolution. Yeah, so all right, so we kind of just talked about the premise there. So we're going to move on a little bit to the plot. Uh, but hold on, 
So let's, let me get, let me let me roll on to the questions here. So the movie kind of has like I thought it kind of has like a Gone in sixty seconds vibe to it. I don't know if you guys had the same sort of uh, feeling or whatever. So there's like a career master thief that thought he was like kind of out of the game, but gets dragged into it because his brother. It's a little bit different, obviously, but there is a major difference, right? So in Gone in sixty seconds, his brother is going to get killed or is threatened to get killed if Nick Cage doesn't steal these cars. But in this one, um, like the brother's already dead and the other person, his motivations are just to sort of like prove his dad wrong in a sense, right? Like he's just trying to like, he just feels like his daddy doesn't respect him. So in a sense, I was just asking you, so their whole motivation to do this master heist before the API gets put into place is, oh, my brother kind of got killed. It's sort of a little bit of a revenge thing, but there's no real... Um, what do you want to say, like direct person that he can direct his revenge towards and the other person is just like, my dad do not respect me. Did you think that the motivations were sort of like strong enough to make this movie like really, really grasping or did you really buy it or what what'd y'all, what'd y'all think about the motivations for these characters? I, I, I yeah, yes. I, I, I think that it was, um, they definitely were motivated to do that. I mean, they were all career criminals and, you know, um, they're career criminals. Brick, I believe it's his but, name. But, but let me say, was, you can maybe answer this, Rod, because you, you might know this, but was Brick down on his luck? I feel like he had enough money to sort of last, or was he, I feel like if they really wanted to make him motivated, they would have made, like, made a real big point to make him say, I'm fucking out of money. I got to do this last one score. And, but I feel like it wasn't that way or, or no. maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I think his uh, biggest motivation was he just really liked that chick. I mean, well, they, he, they say revenge, but I mean, the, the movie doesn't really indicate as much that I say revenge, right. but like I said, there's, there's no like one person, like, right. If there was real revenge, they would have like made this like big montage where like there was some dude in the prison who was like torturing his brother. And like, he was the Wait, one person. Like, brother died. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But what I'm, but I'm so, saying like revenge words, is more than a like specific person and not like well, in a it, system. And this is the, revenge of a system, which I think is weird and kind of ambiguous. Well, it's the system and the government that made his brother die. So I his, understand that. But like when you really like want revenge, it, like in a movie in terms of like when we're rooting for someone to get revenge, it's usually like against a person. Like we don't go, oh man, he, he beat the, like, you know, it, it, it lacks a little bit of sort of the gravitas I understand what you're saying, Rob. I'm just saying, like, do you think, like, when I was watching it, I was like, man, it would have really been helpful if that dude that he killed at the end was the dude who literally, like, kind of maybe, like, stomped on his brother's neck or some shit. Like, that would have been, like, it would have hammered it home a bit. But this one, it felt like it was just sort of, I, I felt like his his motivations were a little bit ambiguous to me. Like, I, I thought just maybe just coming out of a writing standpoint, like from it, it, I felt like it could have been solved by like somebody, but uh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting. I'm just sort of getting at it. Preston, what do you think about it? I mean, for the Kevin character, I, <laughs> you know, I, I guess that is his motivation. I think like what Rod was saying, they're just career criminals. And I think for someone like him, he just, he's, he's so fucked up all the time. He's like, Oh, we got four days like to do that. Like, I just want to go like, yeah, I've got this daddy issue. And honestly, a 
family slash sister issue as well. <laughs> uh, like, a what do you think he looked like? Do you yeah. think he looked like sort of like Axl Rose and kind of like Drexel Spivey? Like, what would y'all compare him to? Like, he seemed like he was trying to be forty different people all at once. I felt like he was always just dude. Cool. Same. I thought the acting for him was like I'm trying was, to channel like twelve different characters. Yeah, I've seen it was in a so fuck. It was so stupid. What were you gonna say, Joe? I said a little bit of Kid Rock too. <laughs> It would have been like cool if if he came into like one of the scenes like like it did feel like he was going to do that one time. It Uh, definitely he was reminding me of someone like I I don't know if it was maybe like a crazy Leo character or something. You know what I mean, Budman? Like like he was going like going for that vibe, but he just couldn't he couldn't pull it off like like a good actor could, I guess. He reminded like well obviously it's kind of like Drexel Spivey from like True Romance but a really really shitty imitation of it like the like a drunk frat guy's Halloween costume version of Drexel Spivey from True Rom- Romance right like trying to like remember the lines and trying to say them correctly but like he just can't do it the same way that Gary Oldman obviously can like it just felt like really 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 like a poor imitation of trying to be kind of like intimidating and badass and quick witted at the same time like he just couldn't really get that whole yeah. vibe like it he never really could like could have master the scene it just it just it felt always felt awkward when he was sort of in place uh, I, I Ron, what do you think I, I think that was kind of part of his character is that i mean so he is the son of the largest uh crime well, that's a good point yeah the largest crime syndicate and he clearly is not on good terms with you know with the family so he's trying too hard to be something that he's not is basically what you're saying right is that like in, what you get? in other words he has failed to meet his dad or the crime syndicate's expectations of what he should be yeah you know, this this serious mafioso you know um yeah, yeah. No, I understand what Air. you're saying. So he's he's sort of like he's trying to be a sort of character that he's not, but he also isn't. And it's just like this mix of how should I behave at the same time. It just, I th- like you said, Rob, he's very, very confused. And so maybe that's in his character is that like, it's just like he can't really decide how he's supposed to act because he just can't really find that what he's supposed to be. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I think that, they, I think they all three have different motivations. Um, Anna Brewster's role, I can't think of her name. Um, I think it was Sadie, Sadie, uh, Shelby, 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 yeah, Shelby, Shelby Davis Shelby. or something. Um, you know, clearly her motivation is money. Brick is revenge, and then Kevin Cash is not really money so much as, like he says in that one scene, you know when he talks about what would read on his gravestone, you know, son of mafiosa man, but he didn't really accomplish anything. So he's trying to make a name for himself. He wants the legacy. He's he's after legacy. Yeah. And I kind of get that. It it just, like I said, it just kind of felt like I said, I I felt like the revenge angle was the weakest one. And like I said, I kind of wanted to ask you guys about that. That's kind of the one I really didn't, like I said, revenge is usually directed at one person, not like a an overall sort of ambiguous, I'm going to take my revenge against the system. I felt it would have been stronger if there was one person he could have really, really gone after, and that wasn't the case. Um, <clears throat> so do you guys, we'll move on a little bit before we get into the wheel or whatever. So let's, 
So we've talked about sort of like the, uh, how it's set. We've also talked a little bit about like what their motivations are obviously in the plot. So do you guys want to talk about the actual heist itself? So it like it spent sort of an hour, an hour and a half sort of building up to the heist. Did you find the heist satisfying like from an action perspective? And like, did you find it sort of like the twist? There wasn't really too much of a twist, but did you find that satisfying at all too? Or like, how did y'all feel about the actual heist relative to sort of other like, the highest kind we talked about in terms of movies and stuff rod your pick go ahead what'd you think about the actual heist uh, i mean i thought the actual heist was pretty cool um you know it, it there was a couple of you know what wow what wow whammies there um they surprised me um not to jump forward but the whole scene of when shelby walks out of the uh I guess the Federal Reserve or the, the Mint, the very, very, very end. And she's all banged and tattered up. And, you know, she's got like the, the new police force that's run by the government because all the old cops had to turn in their guns. You know, they've yeah. all got their weapons drawn on her. And she like, just, they're like, We're, stop, we'll shoot. And she just kind of pauses. And then out of nowhere, Brick comes through with a Freightliner and takes out like <laughs> 10 SWAT members. And yeah. then she just kind of casually does the <laughs> and gets in the car. That was a little far-fetched for me. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> and then just the that was the, the gun thing. I mean, <laughs> every, there, there are a few lines that she had that were basically the same thing as like that little gesture. It was just, I've got yeah. a few fucking written down that I kind of, we're, we're probably not going to get into, but there were absolutely a few lines, absolutely a ton of lines actually that were so ridiculous, but we're not actually going to get into it. I might maybe in the deeper cuts of this podcast, if you really are listening, maybe I'll release some whatever, we talk about the shitty lines, whatever, but go ahead, Joe, cause we're getting, we got, we're keeping time to the essence. Go ahead. No, no, I, let's keep it rolling i, I love B budman's discussion there <laughs> no no I, i'm just saying i'm not going to get into like all the i've got them kind of like written down some of the shitty fucking lines that were in this movie that were crazy and stupid but like <laughs> while i was watching that i was literally sitting on a google docs docs or whatever sort of typing stuff away i thought some of them were absolutely silly well, well so uh, I, i've got to ask this question just real quick because while i was watching it i and i was watching with with emily and i think at one point she stopped and looked at me and was like I'm sorry, I just, real quick, I've got to ask, like, is this a serious film or is this, like, are, are they, is this a comedy of some <laughs> And I was like, I, or she's like, are they taking themselves seriously here? And I was like, I honestly, I think it's supposed to be serious, but I'm, I'm, I'm having a little trouble not laughing at some of these lines. I, I, it was just one of those moments. It was in the beginning of the movie too. And it was, it was right before that, ridiculous sex scene at the restaurant where the techno music <laughs> the techno music went yeah. from like 1 to 11 all of a sudden it was just like 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 surround sound i mean it was just crazy well, no, like it, the base well that scene was wild too because she walked into the bar and she was wearing like like i said it's only 2024 here we're in 2020 this movie was made in 2020 she's wearing like what would be like a jelly sandals jacket as if those are going to be cool in four years or some shit like that's like sexy and then she comes right. in like says like I, I i would have to i gotta go through my notes or whatever but she says something absolutely those, those I, are a lot I've of got, lines i've got it 
Oh, you got it? Go ahead, Rod. It was um, the cold heart thing, right? She's it's like, it's the cold heart, <laughs> but not too, not too cold to touch. She and also says something like that, yeah. She grabs his hand and like puts it on her titter. She also <laughs> says this. She also says this. All right, so there's this line that says, you must have done something pretty awful to have that done to you. And that's when he was talking about like the thing on her boob. And he said like, or, or like, or he goes, well, I've made some bad choices. And he goes, we don't make bad choices. And then it goes dot, dot, dot. And it never answers. Like as if like there's supposed to be some really pithy line at the end of it. Like we don't make bad choices. We blah, blah, blah. But it just ends. It's just like, we don't make bad choices. Like what, what the fuck? Like that there was supposed to be something to explain why you said that. Like it was just so stupid. And are, are they, do they already know each other? Or are they even no. fucking strangers? No. And that's, okay. So that, and, oh, and she also talks about how she's like doing some checklist of fucking, right? Oh, right? And right. Yeah. And it's like at the end while they get done fucking, she says, he's like, what was your checklist? And she's like, to fuck a fucking loser. Like, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then the romantic line at like the, like when they're supposed to kind of fall in love. He saves her from like the drug dungeon of like the the Axel Rose character, right? And like she she's been like sort of beaten or stabbed, whatever. And he's carrying her out of this like the penthouse, carrying her out. And like she whispers into his ear, she says, "I shouldn't have called you a fucking loser." <laughs> like that's like yeah. <laughs> like that's like the thing that says like, "Oh man, we're in fucking love." I I, I will take uh, again if we're. And on he's this like subject, dying too. Right? I, I, again, we're, if we're on this subject, so so we talked about this right. So they fucked in that bar, and then they kind of fuck again, like at her apartment or something like that. And let me get to this. I forgot this. I'm sorry if I'm saying Budman fuck too much. Thrice. No, they they try to fuck again, but it's only uh, they don't fuck. They only fuck twice. Consummated twice. Yeah, they consummated twice. But there's so the first one though. So at the end of the second one, remember they're staring <laughs> off into the distance on like the uh, Detroit sort of skyscape or whatever, and they're sort of sitting there, kind of like if you want to say cuddling or whatever. And she says something to the effect of, "It's not my fault that I don't trust anyone." And then she immediately goes into some like long-winded story. Like, like she goes, like, I was beaten when I, you know, like, it's so like this, like, I, I again, I don't want to laugh at the fact that the, the, the character was beaten or whatever, but it's like one of these things that was like total, total exposition that should have actually been shown or something like that. But it was like this, like, it's right. not my fault. I don't, you shouldn't have to explain that situation. Like you should have been able to like convey that beforehand. Instead, they go into this three minute thing about why she can't trust him after she had sex with him. Like, it's like, you should have had that built into the character rather than like say it for three minutes after you fucked them two times. Like it's so fucking <laughs> stupid. Like it's so dumb. Well, I think, there's so much, it's very, the, the movie is very disjointed. Like constantly yeah. you're like, kind of like from scene to scene, you're like, all right, now what's going on? Like, what is this about? Or like, so he's just going to like sit there for a little bit and brood. And well, I've, got, gonna... I've got some, I've got some, I don't know if we'll get to it with the wheel, but, uh, but let's go ahead and just talk about this for a second because I kind of, I don't, we'll, we'll do, we'll just do three wheel questions and I'll kind of like mess around with them. But there are, I'm sorry, Robert, but there are some points in this movie that like literally could be dropped like easily so it's two and a half hours right and this movie could be edited down easily to an hour and a half but uh, i thought the it funniest had a monty python intermission scene uh, yeah i thought the funniest so the first movie the first scene starts with him 
the main character bricks or whatever sort of doing this like i'm a badass guy like i'm dousing you with gasoline <laughs> with my goddamn like and he's also got like a cigar or whatever and it's like when the cigar ends you're gonna light on fire blah 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 They're and then out of nowhere the guy who he lights on fire where did this guy come back from he's oh like, my god yeah. yeah where the hell did he come from and like so bricks is tied down in this like trailer home he's like remember me i'm fucking burned to the gills and he does the same thing like where did where did that shit fucking come from there's no reason to make that happen again that, that could have been cut so much yeah Bubman, do you know did he yes, know yes, someone yes, or was there yes. a connection so okay. that that is that guy was a member of another crime syndicate and he is a member of the kevin cash's dad's crime syndicate so they're out for brick yeah okay. brick goes ahead he kills the guy who gets or he thinks he's killed the guy who gets burned. And that's why in like right after that scene, they go to like that alleyway and they're, you know, you don't see, you, you see Brick's character and then there's, there's a guy who's just calling out Brick. <laughs> that's the guy who's in charge of that, that like, mob family well okay i will say this even if it's explained like rod was intuitive intuitive enough and paying attention enough to understand it it was something that easily 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 could have been just completely removed from the movie and had nothing to do with it you could establish the fact that he was a badass in some other way and didn't have to bring it back and explain it with 10 minutes of, of story later because then yeah. the way that Rick gets saved from that fire is yeah like that's just not believable yeah it just doesn't make any sense and we could have we could have complete like I, I, and I how did that point, guy survive that explosion it does yeah again it doesn't like we didn't see some little thing where he was like almost like harvey dent in the dark knight where he like was like had his half face burning or something like that and he was breathing <laughs> like oh my god i'm gonna do this blah 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 like again it was just it was a lot of things that you were sort of had to sort of believe or whatever to get through uh <laughs> but do do any of you guys have any like final thoughts before we start spinning this wheel i feel like joe's got so much creeping on his mind or <laughs> joe do you want to go straight yeah, to the wheel that baby let's spill just that baby it. all right so we'll go to the topics here i didn't have i don't have 10 but we're gonna spin uh, i've got a, just a couple quick little points right go for it very yeah. quick little points that i i don't understand um a would be that you know the dr kevorkian at that bar that <laughs> they're always at um yeah okay if this stuff is so strong and it's not that petrovoikian you know uh ukrainian stuff that you know the guy basically is like this is the strongest stuff i've got yeah yeah and yet it's two pills right so, and it was, why would it's pretty cheap why would there need to be two pills? I feel well, it's, it's a good point. I have a question yeah, about this actually point. on the wheel, Rod, about sci-fi right. drugs. Okay. But go ahead. If you got another question, though, if you have another question, go for it. Um, we'll sci-fi drugs. Sci-fi <laughs> drugs. Band name called it. I do actually. No, I do. Like, because there's, there's like every single sci-fi movie has like a different drug that they like sort of like pimp around. But Rod, do you have one more thing? Well, that I, I mean, I guess about? the whole question is, is I'm assuming that drug was meant to kill himself yet he takes it at the very very end 
And I, I don't know what the point of the drug no, was. No, Some yeah, like neurotoxin right, that he you're was right, taking. Though. You're right. Like, you're right. It gave him the super strength to then go kill the two, I guess we're going to call them bad cops that killed <laughs> Kevin Cash, you know? So like this is after uh, Brick has been shot by Kevin Cash. No, it's, it's, it's sort of a deus ex machina that's not explained. You're absolutely right. So uh, it, it's, it's just, it doesn't make too much sense. I don't I think wonder, there's really an answer for it. I wonder if they wanted that to be their red, blue pill. No. <laughs> it's interesting though. All right, so we're going to move on to the wheel. Number one, the topic is brain drain. Number two, I hope you don't plan on using that. Hope I hope you don't plan on using this yourself. That's actually what we were just talking about. You, number three, you're the producer. Number four, passive, the passive neighbors upstairs. Number five, let's talk about love. Number six, you're the editor. Those are the only ones I actually have. So we're doing one through six, but we're only going to do three. So we're spinning the wheel. We're doing one through Spinning three. the wheel. Ooh, I actually like this one. Two. So we actually just talked about this. So I don't know if we actually should. So I hope you don't plan on using this yourself. We again actually sort of moves into what we were just talking about. So there's always some type of wild new drugs in sci-fi movies. There's a, I'm going to give some examples. There's Narrowin and Minority Report, Nuke Intent and Robocop, Spice and Dune, Chronol and Snowpiercer. The uh, the movie Rod and I reviewed that never got actually published. And then there's one and this one obviously as well so were you disappointed in how this movie used this plot wise obviously rod was because he was just talking about it and do you wish it would have been used in a more creative way like how they ingested it how he used it rod obviously we already kind of talked about you obviously have some concerns about it in terms of not only how it was used in the plot but how like it sort of affected him did you guys like like so Joe did like what do you think about when he took those drugs and how it was presented in the front or, or the first 10 minutes of the movie or whatever did you think it was a deus ex machina did you think he was going to like have to do it in a creative way did you think he was going to like almost stab somebody with it what do you think of how he used it you know it, it was a very interesting device you know like you said it was kind of an act of god almost yeah um, yeah it's kind of hard to explain it beyond that but it was very interesting addition to the film um budman what do you think i'm just still hung up on you know if this stuff's so powerful why does he need two <laughs> that's, that's, that's the recommended dosage from uh from dr kevorkian he needs an air and rod, rod in fairness we don't know if he's ever taken this before and if he has a high tolerance so we and really don't know the, the, I was kind of disappointed because I, like I said, I was giving some examples about like sci-fi drugs, all these other drugs sort of are taken and ingested in, I don't want to say creative ways, but different ways. So like in minority report, it's clearly heroin, but it's called like creatine or something like that. And they sort of ingest it sort of in vapor or whatever. And the one like Snowpiercer or whatever, it's sort of like weird and blah, blah, blah. But this one, like I thought it was like, it was in these like vials or whatever. I was kind of interested to see how he was actually going to do it, but he kind of just broke it and like took it in his mouth. I thought it was going to be like, I, I maybe like a couple of aspirin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be kind of interesting because, you know, it was like in this like hockey puck kind of thing and like twisted it open and like, he, you know, like it, I thought it was going to be like kind of cool, but it, it wound up just being like, oh yeah, I'll just take it as some sort of superhero serum. Like Rod said, he like took it and he just became sort of like pain-free. Yeah. But it obviously was going to result in his death. 
I maybe that again, like that's something that uh, thematically, do you think he was doing it in terms of self sacrifice, or do you think he was doing it to survive? That's because uh, he was he was doing it maybe to save her in the so. end, but like, so. but he obviously didn't know like how long he'd last or whatever. But like, did you think that that's his ultimate intent? He knew he was going to die because the guy said he was going to die. So maybe that's the whole thing is that he was kind of doing it as a way of. I can get her out sort of way. Like he loved her in, ult in a way it was the ultimate love story. Right, Rod? And it, yeah, but it's weird because I almost even think that scene is before he's even met Shelby. <laughs> You're right. You're right. But again, he was doing that as a way of exactly. a get out, a get out plan, but it transformed into of I'm going to get her out plan. I yeah. think, I think that's what you're getting at Rod. I think I think you sort of had your it's the pulse. love story. Yeah, you had you had your finger on the pulse of the situation. You just needed someone to sort of maybe get the words out of you kind of way. All right, you so need, we're gonna you need a fluffer. <laughs> we're gonna spend it one more, a few more times. I needed a McDuffin or whatever. I was about to say McGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> Need one of those. I thought that's what uh, Axel Rose got on the toilet. All right, so <laughs> number one, brain drain. So the API system in this movie allows the government to target and restrain anyone that's in the act of committing a crime. So let's reduce this to the most petty way possible. If you had this system, what minor annoyance would you program into it to stop people from doing, like maybe cutting you off from craft, traffic, farting in elevators or something like that? <laughs> If you had this system, what would you do, Joe? How would you how would you use it to benefit your life? Go for it. Oh, dude. Anybody that was driving in the left-hand lane that wasn't passing somebody, like all your tires would explode. Yeah, so if you had a little button in your car that you're like, all right, fuck this guy, right? Oh, man. I, I, would, be, I would be ruthless with that. <laughs> Rod, go for it. I'm right there with Joe. That's my biggest, <laughs> my, that's my biggest pet peeve in the world. <laughs> Because, you know, Rod drives a Porsche, and that thing gets. Well, Rod was just talking about before. Yeah, he's, he's, um, his car is now. It's a touchy it's, subject. Now he's, oh, he, he might be doing that. a Prius here soon. Preston, go for it. What would you do? A petty? Not a real crime, just something petty that you can well, get after people. I, you know, I'm a, a big food sample guy, and uh, <laughs> not a not a fan of the people who take the food sample and just like stand in front of it and basically yeah. block you oh. off from like trying it, and you have to sit there and wait for them. And they always turn around and see you, and they're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> didn't see Preston, you there." That's the most Larry David thing. I've I know it's Larry. I know it's a Larry it's, David it's thing. The, it's, but I hate an it. episode. There's an episode where he there does is. it with, uh, with ice cream or something. There You're is. Talking about like at the grocery well, store. The, with Larry David, it's uh, for, yeah, for sure. For with, or anywhere, let Larry David. Uh, he's like doesn't like the person who gets a sample and then goes back and gets like another. And keeps getting the samples. I'm more specifically talking about the person who gets a sample and they're like tasting it and they just and don't move they just, just belly, stand just there up to the bar yeah they're like, and they, then they start talking to the person and the person's explaining it and you're just like fucking come on the worst sample getter is the people who sample uh, i don't know if you guys have ever experienced this but at grocery stores the people who get samples of deli meat because it takes fucking forever uh ice cream oh, yeah. samples are fine because they can just like ice stick cream. a spoon in or whatever yeah but deli meat they literally have to like wrap meat up unwrap it un like kind of thing and it's just 
outrageous. One time I sat behind someone for yeah. literally like 10 minutes. I literally asked her, I go, how long are you going to be here? Because I'm, I can go finish my shit before you get done with it. It was so stupid. Uh, no, I'm about to spit water on my mic. Yeah, get yeah, to, no. Get to shave it, bitch. Yeah, yeah, for real. No, it's just so fucking stupid. I can't stand those people. All right, so we're going to spend one more time, and then we'll give our ratings for the last days of American crime. <laughs> please, be edit- please be editor. No, this is going to be one that I actually really, really love. This is going to be <laughs> uh, the passive neighbor's uh, no, no, you're the producer. Sorry, you're the producer. Ah, so, happy with the passive. Okay. Sorry. So this movie was set in dystopian Detroit, but was but the film was actually filmed in Johannesburg in Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah. Um, it feels Pretty like the one. criticism of the movie is actually on the United States, but is the joke actually on South Africa in a way? Because you know they're trying to depict a really really shitty environment but they filmed it somewhere else. Uh, what, did, what, what do you guys think in terms of like the criticism and how do, like, how do you sort of like relate it towards what they actually feel? Like, do you actually think that it, in a way, passive aggressively, it sort of says, hey, your city fucking sucks. This is what's going to be when, or blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It felt kind of weird to do that. I think the murder rate in Detroit and Cape Town are pretty <laughs> Johanna, <laughs> buddy. Johannesburg. Johannesburg. I think Budman's been to Johannesburg. Uh, Jayburg, baby. Been to both Jayburg and um, Cape Town, and I do not think that this was uh, meant to mock that. I mean, do you think it was anything <laughs> they had to like film there? So that probably inconvenienced a lot like of people. It. You didn't like it, Bree? I was just curious because, like, if you're going to depict, like, you're, you're basically picking some like city in the United States that's sort of been economic economically sort of what do you want to say like deprived or whatever in, in the downturn like detroit but you don't even want to film there and help them out like help them by paying them to film there but you just want to go film it in johannesburg and cape town i felt like that was a really really weird move like why not actually film it in the place that could use the money well there unless, and there were a lot of city unless, shots and it did I, I remember looking at it and being like that is, that doesn't even look like detroit. there was one specifically in the very beginning where like he goes remember like he goes and like he sneaks up on like a sniper and the other guy and kills him. And there's like this background shot that is clearly not in the United States. Like it's very clearly like an African city and not, I don't mean that in like a, Oh, it's African as important. Like, but like in terms of the architecture and the, the style of apartments and blah, 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 it's very, very clearly not right. Detroit United States. Like, uh, but yeah, yeah. you know, I, I just thought it was like weird in terms of like, if you really want to help out a poor United States city, why not just film it in Detroit? Why, why would you go to Johannesburg or Cape Town? It just felt kind of Well, where's, where's Oliver, uh, whatever his name was, Edgar or Hecaton? What's his, the director's name? He might be like South African. Oh, I don't know. I just, I, again, I, again, I just yeah, thought it was weird. Know. Like if you're almost, like, again, I, I've sort of said the point a few times. I don't really need to again. I just kind of thought it was weird. I wondered. Reiterate you yourself, were... Matthew. <laughs> Olivier Megaton. For all the people that are still listening to Megatron. me repeat this three or four times, <laughs> I thought it was odd that if we're going to sort of depict a United States city that was impoverished or whatever, why not actually film it in that city? Give it some and money. Give them some money instead of traveling overseas and giving those towns some money, whatever. So, like, Jeez. don't mock a city for being impoverished, but then not actually take Man, an opportunity you, to help them out. You clearly voted for Trump. No, 
I clearly don't vote at all because I'm lazy as shit. <laughs> so forgot where my polling place is. Yeah. yeah. No, I overslept. Um, so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna move to the ratings of this movie. And like we did last time, we're gonna we're we're actually gonna change the categories again because we have a, a, a fantastic guy that loves to comment on our stuff. <laughs> uh we're gonna change it to characters, music acting and plot because i feel like dialogue is kind of unnecessary so what we're going to do is joe out of 25 give what do you think out of 25 the characters do you think they were developed properly blah 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 i might give it a nine perfect uh sorry is it acting plot dialogue and music yeah no it's, no, it's characters music acting and plot so preston we're going to move to you preston you're out characters out of 25 um fuck well all right let me ponder the film okay i gave it a seven jesus rod your characters because i love a slurpee and he said seven i'm gonna go with 11 <laughs> oh, so no one has that no one has really a high thing cool. like i'll just give it a 10 just to sort of meet in the middle like i usually do so joe music how did you feel like the music helped with the story here i'm gonna give it a decent grade of like 15 yeah, the score was pretty decent. Preston? Well, I mean, just that techno sex scene itself yeah. <laughs> gets it up to at least a 12. That but I mean, I, I, the music to me was not memorable. It was very, uh, I mean, there were times where I felt like it was very low budget. Like, it was just like sounds. The and end it, was awesome. I love the, the Depeche mode. The, the Depeche end. mode. All right, the Depeche <laughs> mode is what, that's what actually what gets it up to a, a 12. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. What do you think about that? 17. 17. That's the Depeche yeah, mode. I, I, I'm going, I'll, I'll go 17 as well. Cause I actually, I actually enjoyed the music a little bit. Like I, I, it, I don't even know if it was just the music, but the sound editing, it was, it was kind of, it, it did help get me involved with the music, a movie because I wasn't a fan of everything else. But go ahead, Joe acting, acting Joe out of 25. I'm going to give it a 13. <laughs> So wait, uh, what else is that? What's after acting now that we Acting changed? is just overall plot. So acting is con including the plot? No, no, no. no acting, acting, acting is including like dialogue. Acting, yeah. Acting just by itself. Yeah, yeah. So I think plots probably includes dialogue. Acting is more. Okay, how do, okay. How do you think they portrayed the dialogue that they were given? Yeah, so. gotcha. All right, well, this is, uh, I mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think the acting was good at all, but like, and this is kind of the same thing with like the dialogue situations. Like sometimes it's so bad, it's good. Like in a way, you're like, God, like, man, that was so terrible. And that line was so bad. But you know, they're just, once, you get, once you get over the fact it's bad, you can be like, right. Yeah, no, no, no. It's like full no. combat. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there yeah. are good actors like that. The main guy, Edgar Ramirez, I think is his name. He does a, he played Versace in, um, like the next part of that American crime Versace, stuff. Versace. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I didn't realize that. He's got like he's, a pear he's got like a pear shaped face. It's almost like his face goes like this and then extends out with his cheeks almost yeah. like a pear. Big fruit guy. Big fruit guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big fruit guy. I'm gonna give it a 14. <laughs> okay. Rod, your acting score. I think that everything like you're saying was so over the top, almost water world esque. <laughs> Ooh. so bad but like they tried to like everything was so over the top like to the point of where it was so bad 
it was good. Oh, it was a funny so, at times. Gratuitous. <laughs> yes. Um, so I would give it a s- eight, <laughs> but because of the over the topness, and I like that, I'm going to yeah. give it a 15. That's fantastic. 6.9. Where am I? I'm giving it a 10. I can't think of anyone who did a good job besides the main guy. Like everyone else was just so ridiculous. Like we were talking about before. Yeah. Uh, the dude, character, the dude uh, who couldn't decide if he was Axel Rose, if he was Drexel Spivey, if yeah. he was blah blah blah. Like I just every single time he was on screen, I just I, like I cringed for him. Yeah, and I was hoping he would cringe in return almost. Um, <laughs> Joe, here we go. The plot, and then we'll uh, move on to after we do the plot, we'll get to Preston's pick for next. But Joe, the plot out of twenty-five, go for it. Three. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, not a fan of it the was, plot. Uh, it, it was not believable. No, yeah, no. We talked about the motivations and stuff again. I, I wasn't a fan of the motivations. That's huge in the plot. They go ahead, press and go. I don't want to be the lowest, so I'm going to go four. But I mean, the plot obviously it was just so discombobulated, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to really say. Rod, what do you think? I want to know what the purpose of that whole like <coughs> C League cop was in the whole movie. Like, Again, yes, there's so much to cut from it. We oh, could have talked God. about it. Yeah, no, yeah. So that's my that's my gripe too. But go I'm ahead, Rob. Yes, that guy was like five seven, so I'm gonna give it a seven. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm I'm with Rod on this. I really honestly think you could have you could have like cut and and without losing anything you could have cut 45 minutes to an hour from that movie without losing way too long yeah anything um so the plot was just so 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 bulging with so much fat that you could have trimmed off so it's fed to to the dog yeah 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 it's hard to give it a good grade uh i'm gonna give it an eight just because i'm generous and I, i think in terms of it was actually like written in terms it was it was fine but they just for whatever reason, they just didn't choose to cut anything. It's like they took the first draft of whoever yeah. wrote it and was like, gold, let's do it, and like didn't question any of it. So I'm going to give it an eight. I, I, I sympathize with the writing or whatever, but I think they could have made it a much, much better movie if that if some dude with a brain and some balls could have stood up to him and said, hey, let's cut some shit. All right, so that's going to be that's going to wrap it up for us with the last days of American crime, uh, the first episode of the new Cinema Syndicate podcast. Ooh. And as we wrap it up, we're going to kick it to Mr. Preston Barnes, who is next up on the picking order. Then it'll be me, Matthew Scott, and then it'll be Joe Fine's pick. But Preston, um, go for it. What's going to be your pick for the next movie we do? All right, for the next film we will be reviewing, it'll be last year's Best Picture winner, Parasite. Oh, is that on Hulu? It is on Hulu. It's still on Hulu? South Um, Korean movie? South Korean, yes. If you Um, haven't seen it, you are in for a fun time. All right, well, that's actually a fantastic treat. I think people will love to see that. Um, All right, so Parasite. Am I going to have to give up a part of my soul when I watch this movie? No, it's... uh, even though it is, uh, what's his face, Boon, Bong Joon Ho, it yeah. is a bit different than what he usually does. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's really good. No, it's it'll surprise you. I mean, it's, it's got like, twists and turns. It's yeah, good. I'm actually real sad. I've never actually seen it. So we're doing Parasite next 
on the Cinema Syndicate podcast. Perfect, because we're moving on beyond the United States. We're going into Asia, so that's great. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to call, do our little call signs. I know Rod's got one. Pokey might have one. Joe might have one. Maybe everyone has one for the new name. Rod, do you have something to call us out with? Um, thank you guys for listening, and just keep on budding. Reach out, touch space. Reach out and touch faith.